0: There is a lot of confusion when you ask the question, who is Jesus? Many, many different ideas, many different uh, different ways of looking at it. And so we, we have been uh, trying to look at Scripture and answer the question, who is Jesus, by filling in the blank when we say Jesus is blank. And so this morning, why don't you turn to the book of Luke, if you would. We're going we're gonna to be in the book of Luke all, all morning today. Um, and uh, we have been... Over the last couple of weeks we have been looking at the face of Jesus and and we're in the middle of this series we've entitled Jesus is blank and as we've said how you fill in that blank is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life it determines who you will become it determines how you will live your life and, and as we saw in the video there, there are some out who out in the world who say he was just a man some say he was just merely a historical figure some uh, would say he was just a myth some Others like we, us, most of us here today, we say we believe that He was the Son of God who came to the world to save lost humanity. So how you fill in that blank is so important. But the truth is, when you a- try to answer that question, when you try to fill in that blank, it's very, very difficult, in a sense, uh, even when you know Christ, because Jesus is, is like a, a many-faceted jewel, and what I mean by that is every, every which way you turn him, you see another, a new refraction. You see a, a little bit different picture. And, and every time you, you look at him a different way, you, it just brings only, only sweeter splendor. You see more and more the more you look at him. And so the longer you've walked with Jesus, it's hard to boil it down when you say Jesus is blank. It's really hard to put one word in there because the more you look at him, the more amazing he is. And so uh, we're, we've been talking about that, and in week one of this series, we filled in the blank by saying, Jesus is king. Everybody say, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. That's right, and we talked about the, that fact that he's the king over the universe, he's the king over all creation, and since he's the king, we are his subjects, and we do what he says to do, and we say what he says to say, and we go where he says we should go. And then in week two, we, we learned that Jesus is for, for us. He's for you. Everybody say, Jesus is, Jesus is for me. Okay, I think you can do that with a little more conviction than that. Say it again. Jesus is for me. All right. It's, it's, listen, it's one thing to have a king, but it's an entirely different ball game when you have a king who is on your side. Jesus is king and he is for you. And today we're going to fill in the blank with another truth about who Jesus is. And today what I want you to know is I want you to know that Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our healer. Everybody say that with me. Jesus is our healer. Now I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. We're actually going to read several passages of Scripture from the book of Luke. uh, uh, Much more Scripture than we normally read, especially even at the beginning of a service like this. But but what we're going to do, we're going to look at these Scriptures, and then we're going to talk. And it's going to be at a lot more uh, low-key level. And then we're going to pray together. In a sense today, I would say that uh, today is not even going to qualify as, uh, as proper preaching uh, today, we're going to consider the Word of God at a, at a, at a lower level of intensity. Uh, and the reason for that is because I've, I've come to learn that, that sometimes the intensity of the preaching experience can actually hide some truth that you're trying to let happen. And, and today, I, just, I simply want us to be in the presence of Jesus, the heathen. And so we're, gonna, we're gonna, it's going to be a little toned down from what it has been the last couple of weeks because when it comes to healing, when it comes to signs and wonders, I've learned over the years that as a preacher, and I think this is something that a lot of young preachers all need to learn as they move forward in their ministry, but as a preacher, if, if you as a preacher, when it comes to healing and signs and wonders, if you try to crank it up, you know what I'm saying? If you try to crank it up in an effort to generate faith in the lives of others, you actually may wind up putting more of you into the picture than, than, than Jesus. And, and, and you can cause people to begin to respond in an emotional way instead of actually understanding what's, what's going on and just being in the, in the presence of Jesus. So now, and listen, there are things when you're teaching and preaching that you, you need to crank it up. And there are other things where cranking it up can get dangerous. And I think that the talking about healing is one of those because when you crank it up, then, then uh, it, it just, it's easy to put more of us into it than, than Jesus. And we need a lot more of Jesus when it comes to a subject like this. So Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 41, says this. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. They were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. In the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon... That always kind of cracked me up because I didn't know there were anything besides an unclean demon. But, but and, he, and he cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Which I, It's a whole different thing to talk about there because... Uh, You you look at the ministry of Jesus and Jesus said, whom do you say that I am? And, and people were saying he was a prophet and, and the disciples uh, recognized one thing and other people said he was Elijah. You know, some people said he was all these different things, but here you have, you have a demon who knows exactly who he is. He's very clear on it. I know you, we know, I know you are the Holy one of God. Verse 35, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him and did not hurt him. They were all amazed and said among themselves, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And his fame went out to every place in the surrounding countryside. Now skip down to verse 40, same chapter. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons came out of many, crying out, You are the Christ, the Son of God. But he rebuked them and did not permit them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Now skip over to Luke chapter 5. and Luke chapter 5, we're going to read beginning in verse 17. On a certain day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby who had come from every town of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. Now some men brought in a bed, a bed uh, excuse me, brought in a bed a man who was paralyzed. They searched for ways to bring him in and lay him before him. When they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down through the tiles with his bed into their midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, "Man, your sins are forgiven, you." The, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question. Who is he who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And and actually, see there—that's really the truth, isn't it? They were they were actually dead on right. It's it's one of the greatest uh, statements of the divinity of Christ is in that rhetorical question that Jesus does not de- deny that he is God because he does say, "I do." You're right. You're right. Only God can forgive sin, son. Your sins are forgiven. Very powerful moment. Verse twenty-two. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why question in your hearts which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, Rise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose before them and took up that on which he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. They were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen wonderful things today. Now skip over to chapter six of Luke verse 17. He, this is speaking of Jesus, he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great crowd of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to to hear him and be healed of their diseases, including those who were vexed by unclean spirits, and they were healed. The whole crowd tried to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Now look at Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 43. And a woman having a hemorrhage for 12 years who had spent all her living on physicians but could not be healed by anyone came behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her hemorrhage dried up. Jesus said, who touched me? When everyone denied it, Peter and those who were with him said, Master, the crowds are pressing against you and you say, who touched me? In other words, Lord, everybody's touching you. People are pawing you. They're all pressing in. But, but Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared to him before all the people why she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Then he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and, and we praise you for this moment. This divine encounter, you and, and us together in the same place, we will never, ever be exactly like this again. There will never be exactly these people and exactly this spiritual arrangement exactly this way ever again. This is a divine moment, Lord God. And I thank you that we're here in this moment. So Lord, I pray you would help us to be in this moment fully. Have your way in this place, God. Let, let your power be set loose in this room, in, in this place today, and in the rooms and the lives of the people who are watching the live stream today. Have your way in our lives. In, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Their open sores, oozing the infection of their desperate disease. Their, their eyes filled with the white caked mu- mucus. Their their stumps oozing death, their their bodies rotten with disease, their their fingers and toes eaten away by leprosy, their their children sick and diseased and and demon-possessed, they all thronged around Jesus. You know, we have, I believe, an overly pristine and sort of a sanitized view of of the rural ministry of Jesus. We tend to think of him as walking lonely paths with 12 men, sitting in pastoral scenes and plucking wild fa- flowers. And, but what we do is we, we miss the seething, boiling mob of human need that followed him like an ocean of pain. Remember, there, there was no orthopedic hospital. There was no St. Jude for children with cancer. There was no children's clinic at all. There was no cancer ward. There were no leprosy hospitals. There was no medicine. You either you you got sick, and either you got well or you died. This was an age when the average life span was in the middle forties. And suddenly, in the middle of all of this, the word shoots through all of Israel that there is someone who by His Word can cast out demons and make the blind to see and open deaf ears and make the lame to walk again, and who simply by saying the words, be quiet and come out, that demon-possessed people are free, clothed, and in their right minds. And they hear this and they take their families and they, they gather their sick and their infirmed and they just follow Him everywhere. and I, I want to just say this to you. When you're in ministry... Eventually, there, there always comes to you a moment in your ministry when you are simply drained by the human need that is presented to you. There will come a moment when you follow the Lord, when you let him use you in ministry, when when you will say, I can't pray with another person, I can't hear another sad story, I can't counsel another hour, I can't preach again, I can't face this need. And when you come to that moment it's important to remember that Jesus lived his entire three years of ministry in a vortex of human need that makes whatever you or or I will ever face in ministry, from the smallest church to the greatest mega church from the inner city to the rural community church, it makes it all look like nothing. Jesus was constantly surrounded, constantly being drained. Listen, in in these few passages, we we hear it twice where he said, in, in essence, he said, I felt power flow out from me. He is constantly being drained by human need, the agony of humanity around him. And you can hear the humanity in him at, at times. The, the disciples come to him and say, we, we couldn't cast this demon out. Why, why not? And Jesus said, oh, am I always going to have to face this lack of faith? And he says, out to the demon. And you can almost hear the uh, almost an irritation in him. He's drained. He's surrounded. He's touched constantly. So let's look and see if, we can find some insights into this idea of Jesus as healer as we look at this scenario of Jesus being surrounded by human need. But the first thing is this, and this is so simple, but the central reality of these stories is Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that may shock some of you. It may surprise you, but, but here's the thing. If you study the Gospels... In order to find out what Jesus actually taught about healing, you will be shocked at what you find. You know why you'll be shocked? I know I was shocked when I looked at it because what I found was that Jesus had almost nothing to say about healing in his teachings. He hardly ever, he hardly ever talked about healing. You can take everything that Jesus taught about healing and put it in a fairly simple paragraph jesus very seldom talked about healing but you know what he just did it he healed he just healed people he didn't talk about it he did it you know there's there's an old spiritual that says everybody talking about heaven ain't going there you ever heard that there's a bunch of people that talk about healing all the time but but they talk about healing and nobody like ever actually gets healed And I think that we have turned the whole thing of of the the healing ministry into sort of a self-congratulatory intellectual exercise and we've lost the healing presence of Christ. Because listen, don't reduce the healing ministry to a list of rules or you will gut it. What I mean by that is, don't say, "Well, if you will do this, this, and this, then you will receive your healing." That's actually a type of legalism where you say this plus this always equals this. So you don't re- reduce it to a set of rules. It's it's not about what you can learn. You know, the the, the this lady just came up to Jesus and said, uh, "If I can just come up and behind him and just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch him." She didn't say, "Oh, if I could just listen to his to, the, to his teachings on the on the internet, then I could figure this out." Or 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 if I could just get some of the apostles books or or if I could just learn all the rules about healing but people try to make this all healing into rules and and there are ways listen there are ways in which anyone can clear away the rubble between you and God so that the pipeline of healing is open and healing is more likely to happen, but none of those things that we can do are actually the central reality of the healing. There are ways which you can build faith, you can listen to, you can learn, but, but none of those things, nor your own faith, is the number one variable. Because listen, if you make your faith the number one variable in healing, then you will make yourself overly self-conscious and may actually create a barrier between yourself and Christ in thinking somehow that you are doing something to make your healing happen. Because now you're looking to your faith instead of looking to your Christ. If, if your faith is in your own faith, you, you may as well have faith in a golden calf. Faith in faith is idolatry. I heard a preacher tell a story about a time when he was in college and a, you know, a friend offered him to teach him to play golf. His friend looked at him and he said, look, you're a pretty athletic fellow. You play sports. I can't believe you don't play golf. And he, and he looked at his friend and he said, come out this afternoon and I'm going to teach you how to play golf in one afternoon. <laughs> one afternoon he was going to teach him how to play golf. And if you've ever tried to play golf, you understand why that's funny that he thought he was going to teach him in one afternoon. But but after one afternoon uh, of trying to learn how to play golf, this preacher gave up golf. His friend gave up teaching, and they are no longer friends. No, I'm, I'm kidding about the last part. I mean, the, but the, the truth is that this man didn't didn't have. The, uh, the emotional disposition for the regulations of golf. I mean, he got there and he's trying to learn and His friend says, okay, address the ball. Well, he, he didn't know how to do that. He's, hi, Jesus loves you. Ha, nice to meet you, golf ball. You know, I mean, what does he mean? Address the ball. So address the ball, stand this way. Keep your left arm straight. Put your thumb here. Wrap your finger around over here. Drop this knee, rotate your shoulders, pull the club back, now swing forward. And by the time he got ready to hit the ball, he couldn't remember the first rule. And so it was the last time he ever tried to play golf. And, and, you know, I find that people do the same thing with the healing ministry of Jesus. They say, listen, I'm I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to give you 10 steps to get healed. And if you don't get them, it's your fault and I'm not teaching you anymore. What happens is that we actually create a counterproductive atmosphere in which wounded hurting sick demon possessed people come into our presence and then we bludgeon them with our rules and then we send them away discouraged because they didn't get healed rather than dealing with our own lack of faith when they don't get healed. That's always been amazing amazing to me somebody will Who who will teach this and say, uh, if you just have faith, it will automatically happen. And then somebody doesn't get healed and they say, Well, you didn't have enough faith. Well, why didn't the one praying have enough faith? I mean, look at the the man who was lowered into this uh, ceiling. Jesus said, He looked up and He saw their faith and He healed the man. Well, anyway, I'm not gonna, I don't mean to start meddling, but. But but that's what we tend to do. The real issue when people don't get healed is not that they don't have enough faith. It's that those who are in the healing ministry may may not be as in touch with Jesus as they think they are. How can we demand faith from people who are the least likely to have it? See, the central reality, reality of healing is touching Jesus. It's touching Jesus. Jesus is the healer. He's the son of righteousness, risen with healing in his wings. Healing flows out of Jesus. The deal is not whether you have an anointing as a minister. The deal is not whether you, you whether or not you have faith. All of those are fine. All those are wonderful. They're good, but they're not the deal. The deal is not is not what you learned. It's good to learn, but it's not the deal. It's the, the deal is not how many, how, how many books you've read about healing or how many recordings that you've listened to about healing or, or whether or not you've mastered the mechanics of a healing ministry as you've seen it on television. Listen to me, I'm here to tell you I am a class A, 100 proof, proof, tongues talking Pentecostal, but but listen to me on this. Not everyone who falls down on the platform is healed. And I'm not trying to toy with your faith. I'm just trying to to diminish anything. I'm just trying to say to you that what I want is not, I don't want to create the ambiance of healing. I want to see the reality of healing. I don't want to have a ministry that looks great and and has all the trappings of a healing ministry. I don't want the show of a healing ministry. I just want to see people healed. And I'm not downing or denigrating the healing ministry of anyone. I'm just saying, let's have it. Let's have real healing ministry. Let's quit talking about healing so much. And touch Jesus. Let's touch Jesus. Let me touch him, she said. Let me touch him that I might be healed. And that's what they said over and over and over again. In their multitudes, in their throngs, in the sickness and the disease and the stench of their open wounds. They said, if I can just touch him. If I can just get to Jesus. This is, this is wonderful. But This is the second wonderful thing. And that leads us to it: this desire to touch him. But the second thing is, this is so powerful, so wonderful. Jesus is willing to be touched. He's willing to be touched. Did you hear that passage? It said that, we read it, it said that Jesus came down into the midst of them. So I just pictured in my head, he's standing on a hill with the disciples around him. I can just see this moment, the disciples... You know, standing there around Jesus. And, you know, they're, they're, they're learning. They're not where they need to be yet. So I get this picture in my mind them looking out over this mass, uh, this teeming mass of, of sick and, and, and struggling humanity, and them looking at, uh, across that and, and looking at Jesus and saying, Oh, my Lord, look at them. Look at them. There were old blind men being led by their grandchildren. There were women with babies dying in their arms. It was an ocean of pain and tragedy. And I can almost see the disciples say, Master, stand back. We'll keep you safe. But then the Bible says he came down into the midst of the multitude. And it doesn't say that he said or did anything. He just stood there. Can you imagine what that must have caused as as that one who wanted to to, to get to him and, and, and this one wants to get up there and the one in front of him doesn't want to give way because they want to get there as well and they, they're, they're, these are seething crowds. You know, this was reality. No special effects. Jesus, and Jesus in the middle of it just stands there and he says, okay, 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 okay. Touch me. Drain me. Touch me. And they touch him one after another. Dozen after dozen, hundreds after hundreds just touching him and getting healed. You can just see it as this is going on. There's this, this one is in the way back on the edge of the crowd, and somebody screams, I can see. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the old blind man on the edge of the crowd saying, Oh God, help me get through? Just help me get through to Jesus. I want to see too. Here's the great thing that so many in the modern healing ministry and Pentecostal churches miss. It is not what, what you do. It's not the atmosphere that you create. It's not the anointing that you have. It's whether or not Jesus is in the house. That's the whole deal. The wonderful truth of his grace is that he does not stand apart from us in our human need and say, sorry about that, cowboy up, as they used to say out in Reno where we lived. He, he, he does come down to us. He does walk in. He does come, <clears throat> excuse me, to where we are. He's willing to be touched. It's, it's, it's not what you learn about healing. It's Jesus. It's that Jesus is willing to be in the midst of our pain. The third thing is this. And I, I like this. There, there is a mystery about healing. There is a mystery about healing that that, that stripped away makes the healing ministry seem sort of cold and plastic. And we need that mystery element. You know, I don't know very much about healing, and and I'm willing to admit that. I I don't know much about healing, but there's a bunch of people that think they do, and they they don't know either. I don't understand the workings of God. I, you know, I, I, and you'll, under, you'll probably relate with this uh, when I share this. You know what I mean? There have been people that I have prayed for, and I thought when I was praying for them, they were, it was absolutely certain that they were going to be healed. When, when I seemed in the moment to be tingling with faith, when it seemed to be the precise moment, and then I saw nothing. You ever had that, that experience? And then I prayed with other people when I was tired and I was depleted spiritually and physically and mentally and emotionally. And maybe I'd be, you know, trying to get in my car in the parking lot. And, and, and at the bumper of my car, somebody walks up to me and they say, Pastor Dave, would you please pray for me to be healed? And I say, OK, I'll pray and in, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And whoa, there they were. They were healed. And, you know, I mean, if i were honest about it, I would say, Lord, I didn't even care at that moment. I just wanted to get in the car and go home. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is this too much for me to confess to you this morning? I mean, the truth is, in that moment, I would say, Lord, I wasn't even in that moment. And then he says, that's all right, I was. There is an element of mystery in the healing ministry. Don't, don't lose that. And don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Sometimes the mystery causes us not to pray for healing because we, we're afraid that it won't happen and then we don't know how to explain that. Don't be afraid of the mystery of it. You know, and why does this person get healed and the other person doesn't get healed? You know what, we have to grow up to the place where we're just able to say, beats me. It beats me. You know, if you have to to have an answer for all of your Christianity, then you have a mighty small God in a mighty simple world. There's a bunch of stuff about God that I don't know. Can I get an amen? Amen. Non-believers say, can you explain to me this? Or what about this? Or what about that? Do you have an answer for that? And I say, yes, I have an answer for that. My answer is, I don't know. You know, there's like there's a little two and a half year old boy. His name was Marky. <clears throat> His family welcomed a, a new late little baby boy into their home, so he had this baby brother. And like all two and a half year year olds, this little newborn baby sort of looked like a doll. And and so Marky was sort of handling the baby a little roughly. I mean, have you ever had that situation with your children? And and they, he was loving on him, but he was being a little rough about it. And so his daddy sat down to talk with him and trying to be help him understand how important it is to be gentle. And he said, he said, now, Marky, uh, are, are you going to hold him and Care for him and provide for him and protect him and love him and guard him and watch over him. And, and little Marky, this is a true story. This little two and a half year old looks at his dad and says, i not God. <laughs> I just love that. You know what? We need to add that to our repertoire. When people say, you claim to be a Christian? Yes, I, I'm a Christian. You, you're a born-again Christian. Yes, you believe in God. Yes, okay, well then how come there's a famine in Ethiopia? How come there's this suffering in the world? Why do you have to say it? What do you have to say about that? It's okay to look at them and say, I'm not God. <laughs> there are going to be unanswered questions. That's why it's called faith. If you can't stand to pray with people and not see what you want to see when you want to see it, then you're too fragile for the healing ministry and you should stay out of it. You know, I prayed with people that I wanted to see a miracle so badly that I could just taste it, but then I didn't see what I wanted to see. And then I prayed with other people and I've seen instant healing. What is that about? What is that about? I want to tell you something. I heard Dr. Rutland, Dr. Mark Rutland share one time in his teaching. He said that, he talked about it the first time he went to to Israel and, and he he went to see the pool at Siloam. You remember the story of the pool of Siloam? That's the story. <clears throat> excuse me, that's the pool where that if if you could be the first one into the pool after the angel disturbed the water then then you would be healed and and I don't know how you've always pictured that pool but you know I've always seen it, you know, even like, you know, I'm, I'll show my age. How many remember the flannel graphs in Sunday school? And they would put up that picture on the flannel board and, and they'd have this nice little pool there and a man laying next to the pool. But so I always pictured this guy lying next to this nice, neat little pool. But then when Dr. Rutland went there, he found out that the pool of si- at Siloam is very large, nearly as long as a football field. And, it's, and it has multiple levels. So it's really one pool after another. And, and one pool, it goes down, down, and down. And one pool sort of flows into the next, which flows into the next, which flows into the next. And it was this massive area. And suddenly, as he looked at that, Dr. Rutten realized that there would have been, it, it, with the size of it, there would have been hundreds of six, sick people laying around this pool, all of them wanting to be healed. All of them waiting for the angel to, to disturb the water. And as he looked at that, it suddenly dawned on him that on that day when Jesus healed the lame man next to the pool of Siloam, that Jesus was stepping over sick people to get to the guy that he's going to heal. It was a total shock to him. He said to the Jewish guy that was with him, he said, he, he said Doran, this is huge. He said, yes, it is. He, and Dr. Rutland said, there would have been hundreds of sick people here. And he said, yes, there would have been. And Dr. Rutland said, don't you see my question? Why did he choose that guy? And the guy said, ah, I am secular. That's for you. <laughs> well, you know, I don't have an explanation either. There's a mystery in it. You know what I've learned? I've learned these things. I've learned the the combination of these two things. One, Jesus loves sick people. He, He is the power of healing. He is the son of righteousness risen with healing in his wings. And he is also sovereign, omnipotent God who does what he does for a reason for reasons that he knows that maybe we'll never understand. And you add all those things up, and you then you add a room filled with mystery and power into which we walk with our heads bowed, and we can take the hand of sick people, and we can look at them and say, listen, I cannot heal you. And I, listen, I am suspicious of any ministry that claims the power to heal, because the truth is, I can't, feel, uh, can't heal a fly with a headache. You know, I can't. That's a pretty small headache, by the way. <clears throat> but I can't do that. But I serve a Christ who has risen with healing in his wings. And all I can do is lead you to Jesus. So if you're out on the edge of the crowd and you're blind and hopeless, hurting and sick, and, and somebody very near the center screams, <clears throat> screams, I can see. And somebody else shouts, my ears are open, I can hear. And somebody else shouts, I can walk. And you turn to me and you you say, heal me. And I can say, I can't. I can't heal you. But lean on me and we'll fight our way through this crowd. That's about it for me. That's all I can do is lead somebody to Jesus. One other thing. Jesus in these stories that we read, he cast out a demon. He made a lame person walk. He forgave sins, and he stopped the issue of blood. Now, here's my question for you. Which one of those was healing? That's it. The answer is yes, all of them. Because there are many different types of healing. There are times when somebody comes to a uh, a revelation of, of himself in relation to Christ uh, that he's never had before and he leaves a worship service and, and suddenly turns to his wife and he says, babe, I'm gonna be different. God did something in me today. I know I've been distant and difficult. I was brought up in a strange home where there's a lack of affection and I have not known how to give and receive love. I know I haven't been tender and affectionate. I can't tell you what happened to me, to me in there today, but something happened. And the children are gonna have a new daddy, and you're gonna have a new husband. Is he healed? Yes, he's healed. Some healings are instantaneous miracles, some are progressive, some are physical, and some are emotional, some are spiritual, and some are mental. Because the human mechanism is vastly complicated, and the spiritual gears touch the mental gears, which touch the physical gears, and they all roll against each other. And then some nutcase will come in and do something and drop some monkey wrench in down in there, and then everything goes haywire. When Jesus brings healing at that level, in the emotional, or in the mental, or, or the spiritual through prayer or through counseling, through an immediate miracle or a worship service, listen, don't tell me, oh, it was just mental. Oh, it was just emotional. Listen, I think those are the greater miracles. Those are the scars that are real that are there, but you can't see them. I've seen healings that were all enmeshed with each other. What about this, this healing of the guy that was lowered through the rooftop? You know, the scene gives me a chuckle every time I think about it. because it says, the room was filled, <clears throat> was filled with Pharisees and rabbis. So this poor, this poor lame man can't get into the room because of all the preachers that are in the way. And his friends take him up on the roof. Sorry, I must be going through puberty late or something. <laughs> and now, now I've just totally ruined, I, I shouldn't have said that, but... Um, but Jesus, you know, he's in the middle of these teaching, these Pharisees and rabbis, and he's there with this guy and, and they open up the, the, the ceiling and, and invent the first elevator in the world, you know, and, and so it kind of gives me a chuckle because I mean, just don't, don't tell me Jesus didn't laugh a little bit or at least smile. I mean, read this story. You're right in the middle of teaching a theology class, and you hear this sound, and you look up, and there's, now there's a hole in the roof, and there's four faces peeking over, looking at you, saying, Oh, what are you going to do? You know, it's just a funny scene to me that, that they're, just, they're just in there, and all of a sudden, in the middle of his teaching, it's like, Whoop, you know, there he is. And this guy's on a bed, twisted up like a pretzel, and they're all looking down at you. Everybody in the room is thinking, I wonder if Jesus is going to heal him. Every eye is on Jesus. And they know, it's obvious, this lame, this crippled man. Is Jesus going to heal him? Is he going to heal him? And then Jesus, with every eye on him, looks at him and he says, Cheer up, son. Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> what do you think the guys on the rooftop said? I mean, in their heart? What do you think in their heart of hearts they thought? What do you think? I think I know what they said. I think they said, Boo! <laughs> I think they said, Don't tell him his sins are forgiven. He, he's like crippled. I mean, what sins could he have really committed? I mean, you know. But Jesus said, you're fooled by the physical and the obvious. I see that he cannot receive or sustain a physical healing until he receives and sustains a spiritual and emotional healing. He said, this guy cannot walk until he knows his sins are forgiven. He said, I'm dealing with issues that you don't even think about. And somebody might say, you talk about people that you prayed for and that were healed, but they say, tell us about someone that you prayed for and then nothing happened. Well, you know, that's really not as easy as you think. It's not because the problem is we we don't know what did and didn't happen. I can tell you that there are a lot of people I've prayed for where I didn't see what I wanted when I wanted it. You know, I'm I'm in touch with the reality that I prayed for people to be healed physically and they didn't get healed physically. But I cannot tell you that nothing happened because there are things inside of us that God has to do. Jesus said to this man, your sins are forgiven. He knew that had to happen first. Then he said, take up your bed and walk and he was healed physically. I want to tell you something in the story that's very important. Listen to this. It says And this is really powerful. It says in the very first verse when we read it, it says that the room was filled with Pharisees and rabbis. We we remember that. But it also says the power of God was present to heal them. And none of them got healed. None of them experienced the touch of Jesus. The power of God was present to heal, but, but they were so caught up in what they could know and learn and understand and how they, could, how they could trip up Jesus. So they're challenging Jesus and they're arguing with him. And this poor guy just wants to be touched and healed. And I think sometimes we get it so complicated and sophisticated and intellectualized until nobody can touch the hem of his garment just to get healed. You know, I'm, I'm gonna close with telling you a couple stories. And Mary Beth, you can come up anytime. A few years ago, there was some meetings being held at a congregational holiness campground in, in Georgia. And one night, they just had a, a simple little healing service. There, there, there was an elderly lady there who, was, uh, who had a, had a metal screw right through her ankle. And it was in there in such a way that she could walk. But she could not rotate her ankle. It just went up and down. It just allowed her to walk straight forward, but there was no, she could not rotate it at all in any way, shape, or form. And while they were praying, like, like we're about to pray in just a few minutes, she received full rate rotation of that ankle. Now, this was absolutely impossible with a metal screw in her ankle. She she moved her foot all around. She could move it any way she wanted to move it. It was a miracle, an absolute miracle. And it was Jesus that healed her. There was another woman at another uh, uh, situation, another service, who uh, the, the minister preached on healing and talked about that, and, and at the end of the service, they prayed, and he said, "Now, if there's something that you haven't been able to do, just take a moment and, and try to do it and, and just see, see if there's anything happening there." And, and, uh, and, and how many of you know, I, I just love it that kids don't know how to do church. You know what I'm talking about? I know it gets on your, on our nerves as adults sometimes, but I love the the way kids do church because they don't know how to do church. So there was a lady on the front row, and and there was a, she had a little boy, a real little tiny boy, uh, standing next to her and 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 he starts just yelling out really loud. Turn your head, mama! Turn your head, mama! And she's like, just turn your head, mama! Well, it turned out she had been in an accident and had a uh, fusion in her neck, and so she couldn't turn her head, and for years, she had only been able to, to turn like this, to be able to look left and right, and finally, she was just trying to get him to quiet down, and, and, and she said, okay, okay, and she went and turned her head, and she said, oh my Lord, I'm healed. <laughs> I, mean, I laugh because I wonder if she'd been, how long, it wasn't, it wasn't the act of turning her neck that healed her. Jesus healed her. I wonder how long, you know, she if she'd gone home that day, how long it had been before she realized that I can turn my neck. Was another man the same meeting that the lady with the ankle? Uh, he had cut his his hand with a bandsaw. Made me think of Chuck. <laughs> and he could he could move his fingers up and down, but but uh, there, there, he had he could not touch his thumb to any of his other fingers. He had, he had severed nerves and tendons and bones and that sort of thing, and there was just no mechanism there to make his hand work properly, so he could only go so far in closing his hand. And, and so they just prayed together, and suddenly he was able to make a fist. And he stood up, and he was weeping, and his wife was weeping, and you could still see the scars across the palm and across the back of his hand where he cut his hand, and he was just weeping. It was Jesus... That healed him. In 1990, a man named Dwayne Miller was serving as the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in in Brenham, Texas. In January of that year, he contracted a flu virus that that ultimately penetrated the myelin sheath of his vocal cords and and damaged the nerve tissue there in his vocal cords beyond repair. And over the next several months, Dwayne went to 63 different specialists and their teams totaling over 200 different doctors. As they tried to diagnose him and treat him, he had been left with a voice that sounded like the worst case of laryngitis you have ever heard. And he can only even get that amount of sound out if he, if, he, if he put the effort into it as if he was screaming at the top of his lungs. Dwayne describes it. You can even see him. He has interviews online you can read where he describes it it felt like somebody was choking him just pressing against his vocal cords well a year after he experienced this viral infection he, he eventually he had to step down from his church even though that's what he felt called to do was to be it was in pastoring and as you know as a pastor your voice is kind of important right and so he, he didn't have a voice, so after a year of his own volition, he just said, he, said, he said, told the church, they didn't ask him to go, but they told the church, listen, you need to find a new pastor. I just can't do it. I can't do what you need to, to have done. And, and he was just devastated by that. And his family moved down to Houston, and eventually a friend gave him as a, jo- a job as a private investigator working in an area where his voice was not important, but, but he just was aching to do ministry Uh, And to do the ministry to which he'd been called. And he he and his wife became part of the First Baptist Church of Houston and began attending a large Sunday school class that they had. It was called the Catacombs. They called it that because the class met down in the basement of the church. In April of 1992, the teacher of the Catacombs had to take some time away for personal reasons. and, And they came to him, the class came to him, some of the leaders of the class and said, we want you to fill in. while while we find a permanent replacement for this teacher. And he just protested and he he said, listen, I'm just, I'm too hard to understand. And to which they replied, we'll, we'll listen really carefully. And he finally agreed. And so what they had to do, they had to put a face mic on him and turn it up really, really loud so that people could hear him. And he stood uh, this particular Sunday morning to teach the class of 150 more that morning. And he he had never been more emotionally drained than he was on that day. He had never had less faith than he had on that day. He was in a horrible pit as as he took to the platform that morning. In fact, two days earlier, he had sat for hours in his living room with a shotgun in his mouth. And eventually he had come to the end of himself. And in truth, the only reason he was even there that day was because he he was not able to find a substitute to teach for him. And he just felt like he couldn't just not show up. So the lesson that morning was from Psalm 103, primarily verses 1 through 5. And Dwayne began to teach and was talking about the verse where it says, he heals all of my diseases. I want you to listen to what happened next because we got a short video and you can see the words, but I want you to listen to what happened to Dwayne Miller.
1: So when the psalmist writes, and he heals all of my diseases, let me say to you that I believe God still heals. That hasn't ended, that is not over. Now you have to be careful on how you do this because there are folks who carry things to an excess and it becomes a show. And God has never intended that that be what it is. God heals in His sovereign will. I don't know why God does things that He does, but I know that He does. And the only thing He requires of me is to allow Him to be God and me to be me and let it be. To say that Every single person will always be healed because Jesus died on the cross is a misinterpretation of scripture. Not true. Won't work. Isaiah 53 doesn't talk about physical healing. I'm sorry. That's just not the context. And to impress that there causes a misinterpretation of scripture. That's wrong. On the other hand, to say that, since we don't have anything after the book of Acts, that miracles ended at the book of Acts and they never happen again, is equally as wrong. Because you have put God in a box both ways. And he doesn't want to be in the box. So, the psalmist says, I'm excited. Bless the Lord, O my soul. One of his benefits is, he heals all of my diseases. And in verse 4 he says, and he redeems my life from the pit. Now, I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had, and you have had in times past, pit experiences.
2: We've both had, we've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. And I don't understand this right now. I'm, (laughs) but overwhelmed at the moment (laughs) I'm not quite sure what to say or do (laughs) 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 I'm uh, Sounds funny to say at a loss for words. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I He redeems my life from the pit. <laughs> and crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is abounding in love. The Lord will not accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, that's mercy, or repay us according to our iniquities, that's mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us.
0: Isn't that powerful? You see, sovereign God has the power to heal. And you know, the, the thing about all these stories, including those that we read from scr- Scripture, is this, that you know, no, no, no one touched those people or laid hands on them. They just prayed. They were in the presence of Jesus. Jesus walked among them and let the people touch him they said lord if if you're not here nothing that we can teach is going to help nothing nothing nobody's anointing is going to make any difference we just want jesus We need to concentrate more on Christ and less on our doctrines of healing. We need to seek more to touch Jesus and, and less to learn some hidden rules that somebody says that suddenly has been revealed to them as if they received golden tablets from the hand of God. Yeah, right. Just be in the presence of Jesus. He descended into the midst of them and they touched Him and they were healed. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. And we are just pray. Maybe you've grown up with healing services that were different than this. Maybe you've never been in a healing service. We're we're just going to pray. And in as much unity as we can find, let's just invite the presence of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we invite you. We welcome you into this place right now. We just welcome you. We just ask you to be here. Go on right now, right now. Just ask Him. Say, Lord Jesus, be here. Welcome Him in this place. Be in this place. We ask You, Lord, to move up and down the rows of the pews. Be, be, be in the homes where the people are watching online. Touch us, God. Come down into our midst and be willing to be touched by us. Come, Lord Jesus, Son of righteousness, He risen with healing in Your wings. I'm so glad that this doesn't depend on us, on our faith or our righteousness or our understanding or our insights. It's just Jesus. Really softly, won't you just say his name two or three times? Would you do that? Jesus. Just say it out loud. Jesus. Jesus. What a powerful name. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. Jesus. We welcome you. We honor you, we receive you, Jesus. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're, if you're able and you, and you would say, Pastor Dave, I have a specific physical need and I need a touch from God, would you just raise your hand and then you can take it right back down. Yes, yes, there are hands all over the place going up. There's so many. If you're online, just indicate there with a comment to please pray for me. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. It's not going to be flashy because it's not about the method we use or the words or the formula that we can come up with. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Would you look to him? Don't look to me. I can't heal you. Just look to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I'm asking You in the name of Jesus, by by the authority and and the person and the power of Jesus, to touch them, those that need healing. Touch them, everyone. Lord, we ask that You would flow through their bodies, the the very chemistry of their bodies, flow into their internal organs and into their skeletal structure, into their musculature. Lord, I ask that You would touch their hands and their arms. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Receive your healing. Lord, I I pray that you would touch shoulders and elbows and spinal columns. Touch knees and hips and ankles and feet in the name of Jesus. Lord, I I ask that you would make the rough places smooth. Straighten that which is twisted and, and, and knotted. In the name of Jesus, receive a touch of Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would flow into their internal organs. Anything that's attacking their life systems of their bodies, Lord God, I, I, I pray that You would speak healing to it. Lord, wherever there are souls, uh, cells that are, that are mutating and growing at an extraordinary rate, speak to the nucleus of those cells and, and say, peace, be still. Stop that. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, I ask that You would flow into their eyes, touch the cornea and the, and the lens and the retina and the optic nerve, bring healing into ears. Touch the tiny little bones in those ears and speak to those ears and say, be opened." In the name of Jesus, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would lift pain. Just take it away. And not just the pain, but the cause of it, Lord. Let Lift that pain and lift its cause from them. Lord, I ask that infections would just be burned away. Your word says that our God is a consuming fire, and I'm asking that you would would burn up and burn out anything that's attacking anybody in this room in the name of Jesus. Father, flow into the chemistry of their bodies. Flow through their blood. Heal any infection or disease in their blood supply. Touch the marrow of their bones. Touch every part of their body, every cell of their body, any place, Lord God, where there's sickness and disease. I pray, Lord, that as we reach out and touch you, that your healing power... Would flow. I pray, God, that you would heal those that struggle with diabetes or hypoglycemia. Lord, heal any other disorder or, uh, of blood or, or, or chemistry. In the name of Jesus, receive a touch from God. In the name of Jesus, receive a touch from God. In the name of Jesus, be made whole. And now, right now, right where you are. Would you just stretch your hands up to him and say, Lord, I want to touch you. I want to touch you for my healing. I know, God, that you are a healing God. We read about it in your word. We've heard testimonies about it. And now, God, let your power, Lord, we press into you. This is not about Pastor Dave. This is not about what I have said. This is not about this church. This is not about our methods. This is all about you, Jesus. And so, God, we press into you. And, Lord, some of us, we're like those men that brought the, the man, the friend to Jesus. And Lord, some of us, we're reaching out to you and we want to touch you, Lord God, for our friend, for our family member who's not here, who needs a healing touch. And God, I pray whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional or mental or whatever it might be, oh God, I pray that as we touch you, Jesus, that your healing power would be released in the name of Jesus. And that God, that we would be able to give testimony of a God that heals because we know Jesus is our healer. And I thank you, God, for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you stand together with me? Even though, even now, and as the day goes on, is if there's something you haven't been able to do, I encourage you to begin to try to do that and just see what God is doing in your life. And maybe it's a it's something that you're, you're like, well, I can do more than I could. Don't, don't reject it and say, okay, God, I'm going to keep pressing into you. I'm believing you, God, for a, for a complete healing in Jesus' name.